inspiration. Turn up the motivation. You're on the Ziggler Inspire podcast. Zig Ziggler wants you to be your best. Welcome to Zig Ziggler's Inspire Podcast. This is your host, Blake Lindsay. Once again today, we'll listen to one of Zig Ziggler's Sunday School lessons. I believe you'll benefit from these specific Bible scriptures that Zig has used to form his famous business teachings. Turn it up loud as we listen to Zig Ziggler together. Now, one of the reasons I always ask you if you've been reading your Bible is the fact that the Bible brings good news and it makes people happy. How many of you like it when your husband or your wife or your parents or your child or somebody says to you they love you? Can I see your hand? Do you like that? I think all of us do. And the more they say it, the better we seem to like it. And the truer it gets. We see the Bible tells us thousands of times that God loves us. But there's another benefit that goes along with it. This is a uh, a recent survey commissioned by Tyndale House Publishers. Nearly 90% of frequent Bible readers said they feel at peace all or most of the time. Uh, Frequent Bible readers. Now, 64% who read the Bible more than once a week reported feeling joyful all or most of the time. 81% of frequent Bible readers feel content at least most of the time. Michael Moss, spokesman for the American Bible Society, said the survey results are consistent with the findings of a 1995 survey by the society that found a relation between Bible reading and personal happiness. So, folks, if you want to be happy, there is the clue to it. There's the cue. That is, we need to read our Bible. In December of 1989, the redhead and I, now for the benefit of our visitors, when I talk about my wife, I always call her the redhead, all right? When I'm talking to her, it's sugar baby. Her name is Jean. In 1989, uh, the redhead and I walked into Preston Woods Shopping Center. Uh, We walked into this uh, place that sells glasses. Young man came up to us and said, may I help you? And I said, yes. I'm looking for a pair of glasses with that stuff on them so they don't have any glare. He said, oh, he said, are you a photographer? I said, no, I never got involved in photography because of all the negatives. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, well, are you a producer? I said, no, I'm going to be using this for some videotaping for satellite transmission. He said, oh, what do you talk about? I said, well, about motivation, positive thinking, goal setting, courtship after marriage, raising positive kids in a negative world, all that sort of thing. He brightened up and noticed me. He said, oh, kind of like Zig Ziglar. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, sort of. (laughs) And uh, the redhead pointed to me and said, this is Zig Ziglar. Was a very cool young man. He backed away about three feet. He looked me up and down pretty good, and he started shaking his head. He said, oh, no. He said, I've seen videotapes of Zig Ziglar, and Zig Ziglar is always jumping up and down. He said, that is not Zig Ziglar. So I looked at the redhead, and I said, you see, sweetheart, I told you I'm going to be able to fool this young man. He's probably looking for some 40- or 50-year-old codger and sees us two youngsters walk in. He knows I could never be Zig Ziglar. Young man shook his head. He said, that's right. We went ahead with the transaction, and we got down to the line where we had to do some uh, signing. And he said, now, what is your name? And I said, well, I spell it Z-I-G-L-A-R. He literally dropped his pen on the counter. He said, you are Zig Ziglar. I said, yeah, I have been for a long time. (laughs) 
Now, I tell this story because, you see, the young man had a picture of me, and his picture was, here's a guy that jumps up and down. Now, as far as it went, it was very true because on occasion I have been known to jump up and down. But really, the picture was so narrow and so shallow that it bears zero resemblance to who I am and what I can do. My experience in what I do is that most people have a picture of themselves which is so narrow and so shallow, does not give them uh, the credit they deserve with the ability which they have, and that's what we're going to explore. So many people have been told so many times what they cannot do that they do not know what they can do. They've been told so many things which are impossible, they have no idea what is possible. They have no idea what they want because they do not know what is available for them. Now, they can see why you can get it, and 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 you can get it, but poor little old me ain't no way. The young man did have a picture of me, but it was too narrow and it was too shallow. The picture most people have of themselves is too narrow and too shallow. We need to remember that man was designed for accomplishment. He's engineered for success. He's endowed with the seeds of greatness. We are literally wonderfully and fearfully made. Now, we need to also understand in our life that failure is an event. It is not a person. Yesterday really did end last night. Success is a process, and we're going to look at that process this morning. Now, if you know Christ, the thing that's exciting to me, he's wiped away your past. It's clean. It's absolutely forgiven. Now, when you understand the significance of that, that means you have no hangover because you have no guilt. You see, the guilt has been removed because the sin has been forgiven. Now, with guilt taken out of your life, think of how much easier you can make progress toward the objectives which God has put you here for. If you know Christ, you understand He is with you because He is in you. You know, the Bible says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for He is with me. Now, when you think about that, that eliminates an enormous amount of worry. And worry, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the great debilitating factors in life. When you worry about things that are not in our department, then we really are spending uh, a lot of useless time. The Bible says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I'm talking about if you know Christ. Now, if you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, don't you know that's going to be a deal? I love the story of the fellow that got special dispensation. He could take a, a Brinks truck into heaven. And it took a lot of trouble to get it cleared, but he showed up at Heaven's Gate, and St. Peter said, what you got here? And he said, well, I had clearance on this. I can bring in uh, uh, this Brinks truck. And he said, uh, well, what's in it? And he said, well, gold bricks. And one of St. Peter's little angels turned to him and says, why on earth would a man want to bring pavement to heaven? <laughs> now, for you non-Bible students, the heaven's streets are paved with gold. That's the message I'm uh, bringing here. I validate things psychologically, theologically, and physiologically 
because people who hear me speak, many people are not necessarily Christian. And if I can get into their heart through their mind, the mind is the gateway to the heart. If I can get into their heart via their mind and then they listen to the message that Christ has to say, then the spread of the gospel will be infinitely easier to a lot more people that preachers never get a chance to talk to. This week I was reading Psychology Today with some information that I find to be very invaluable. It's how do you deal with worry? You've heard it said that worry is stewing without doing. It's interest paid on trouble before it comes due. Now, in Psychology Today, they had a little article and said, if we would simply write down what we're worried about, it's amazing when we realize, that, well, that's ridiculous. I know, why, would I, why would I worry about that? And you scratch it off. Then uh, the second thing you do as you look at it, uh, then you ask yourself uh, the simple question, uh, what can I do about it? I'm worried about this, now what can I do about it? And uh, once you start thinking along those lines, many times you erase more of the things that you've got written down. But the bottom line is that it's no point in you sitting up worrying all night about things because God's going to be up anyhow. And it's no point in both of you being concerned about the same thing. We should not worry about it. We should pray about our concerns. Now, please understand that the God who not only has counted the hairs on our head, but who has numbered them, the one who sent his own son to the cross has got a tremendous investment in you. He is vitally interested in every facet of your life, and that is an important thing to remember. You know, a lot of people express faith, no problem whatever in believing that uh, God created the universe, no trouble believing that God healed the sick and raised the dead. No trouble at all in believing that he split the Red Sea and over two million Jews walked through on dry land. They have no trouble believing the mighty miracles of the Bible. But you see, Lord, I've got this car payment. And it's due next Thursday. Now, now Lord, you can spit all that water you want to, but you've never dealt with one of these finance companies before. Think of the absurdity of that, ladies and gentlemen, and unfortunately, that is the way it is. Now, when we understand something which is very, very important, that's simple as this. If you don't like who you are and where you are, don't sweat it, because you're not stuck either with who you are or where you are. You can grow, you can change, that is no doubt about that. Truth is, your mind has brought you to where you are. Now that mind of yours with the right faith can take you to where you want to be. We, can, uh, we can't get a new brain. You know, a lot of times people say, boy, I wish they had brain transplants going. Well, they're never going to have that according to the most knowledgeable people that I've been reading. Can uh, renew the one you've got. You can redirect it. You can recommit it. You can re-energize it. And as usual, I got my trusty 1828 Noah Webster dictionary out, and I looked up the word renew and uh, renewal. It means to renovate, to restore, to rebuild, to make new, to make fresh or vigorous. Renewing is making new again. How do you do that? Well, the Bible speaks on that issue. In the 51st Psalm, the 10th verse, David's praying, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Psalms 51, 12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know, unfortunately, too many Christians walk around looking like the cruise director for the Titanic. Uh, there is no joy. They act like some M&Ms had just melted in their hand or, or somebody licked all the red off of their candy. I mean, something really bad had happened. We need to have that joy. Now, when you talk about renewing, Isaiah 40, 31 said, Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The Bible tells us over and over that we can renew ourselves. In 2 Corinthians, the uh, fourth chapter and the 16th verse, we read, That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. There's an old and true saying that the Bible will keep you away from sin or sin will keep you away from the Bible. We read in the book of Romans in the 12th chapter and the second verse, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. Again, I went back to my trusted dictionary and looked up the word transform. To change the natural uh, world's position and temper of man from a state of enmity to God and His law into the image of God or into a disposition and temper conformed to the will of God. Well, bottom line, how can we renew in our everyday life? What can we as individuals do? About 20 years ago, Larry Majors, who's my executive assistant, received a phone call from a lady in Birmingham who had a serious problem. She said, Zig, she's worried about it. I think you can probably help her in 10 minutes if you'll just speak with her. Well, the lady, uh, we made an agreement. She was to come backstage uh, just before I was to speak over there. As it happened, I was on one side of the stage when she came back, and she walked in on the other side. When she saw me, she started walking over there. And I mean, I have never seen as much anger in a walk in my life. Now, I'm not going to say the lady was overweight, but she's about five and a half inches too short. Uh, when, she, uh, when she looked at me and saw me, she uh, almost started crying. She said, oh, I'm just so glad to see you. I've got this terrible job. I just hate it. I want out of it. Can you help me? She's the kind of person that can brighten up a whole room by leaving it. I know that, uh, uh, you know that you've seen people like that. Well, now, please understand, I'm not a trained counselor. I don't do any counseling. I don't have time. I'm not trained for it, as I say. And my natural inclination is to believe everything the last person I talk to tells me. Now, that does not make for good counseling. But when somebody says, help, if I've got 10 minutes, I try to use them. Well, the time was so limited, I knew I had to cut to the quick. Because the people who do a lot of counseling tell me that everybody who comes to you with a problem do not want a solution. Now, the first time I heard that, I thought, that's crazy. Why would they talk about a problem if they don't want to solve it? 
And the counselors explain to me, they want to tell you about it, you about it, you about it, you about it, and you about it. And if you foul up the deal and solve the problem, they can't tell you again, you again, you again, and you again. They want the attention that goes with it. Those of you in management know that the same person brings basically the same problem to you over and over again. I knew that she had this problem, and I knew I had to get right to it if I was going to be of any help to her at all. When she said she wanted out of there, I said, well, ma'am, I got some bad news for you. She said, well, what do you mean? I said, I believe they're going to fire you. She was stunned. She said, fire me? Why would they fire me? And the implication was that I'm the good guy. All of them are bad. I'm good. Why would they fire the only good guy there? I said, ma'am, it's, have you noticed that people who are the problem never recognize that they are? They're in complete denial. They think denial is just a river in Egypt. I mean, they, they, uh, uh, you know, they're not the problem. Why would they fire me? And I said, ma'am, I don't believe there's a company in Alabama big enough to contain this much poison in one small spot. And let me ask you a question. Have you ever noticed that a lot of people who didn't like anything about a certain thing, they didn't like their mate, they didn't like their job, they didn't like their neighborhood, they didn't like a lot of things, but the moment they realized that they were about to lose it, or thought they were, all of a sudden, new value is established in that. She sobered up very quickly. She said, well, what can I do? I said, do you really want to know? She said, yes, I do. That's the reason I came to you. I wanted some help, but you sure hadn't been any help so far. <laughs> I said, well, ma'am, I got an idea, and I believe it'll work. I know it will if you'll do it. She said, I'll try anything within reason. I said, okay, when you get home tonight, just before you go to bed, get off in a room right by yourself, close the door, turn off all television and everything else, get a sheet of paper out, and write at the top of it, I like my job because. She said, that'll be easy. I don't like nothing about that job. I don't like nothing about those people down there. I said, well, ma'am, let me ask you, uh, do you work there for benevolent reasons or do they pay you for working there? Well, she said, they pay me for working there. And I said, and you don't like to be paid. Why? She said, of course I do. I, I, I got to be paid. I said, well, now, a minute ago, you said you didn't like nothing about that job and nothing about them people down there. She said, well, I didn't know you was talking about that. I said, you don't think income's important? She said, oh, I sure do. I said, well, I'll tell you what you do. Open your notebook. You got it in your hand. We'll start our list right now. Well, she just stood there. I said, no, let's go ahead and start the list right now. She just stood there. I, I said, ma'am, let me, let me tell you what my experiences in life has been. My experience is this. People who won't take step number one never take step number two. Now, what that means is you and I both are now wasting our time. Unless you are willing to take step number one, uh, I've got some things I really should be doing, and I'm sure you would rather do things than talk to me. With anger, she opened her notebook. And she said, now, what would you say I liked about my job? <laughs> they pay you. For working there. That's number one, okay? Number two, let me ask you, do they pay you above average, below average, or about average for what you do? She said, well, I got to confess, they pay me a little above average. I said, you like that too, don't you? She said, yes, I do. I said, write her down. You, you see, the reality, this lady had come to me with a totally unrealistic expectation. She had expected me to solve the problem. Folks, I can't do that. As a matter of fact, Dr. Graham can't solve your problem. Uh, the reality is we can give you ideas, concepts, procedures. We can introduce you to the Lord. Now, he's the problem solver. 
but basically it's going to be in your lap. You've got to make the choice. You've got to take the action or you will carry the problem with you to this counseling session, that counseling session, and the next counseling session. Ultimately, we must accept the responsibility. I've got to do something. The third thing the lady liked about her job, she got, uh, had three weeks vacation with pay. By the time we got through, there were 22 things that she liked about her job. She had hospitalization insurance, health and accident insurance, and life insurance. Uh, she was in on private share and had a wonderful retirement program. She lived uh, less than 10 minutes from the office, had her own private office, uh, was in on management decisions. They paid for three seminars a year for her to go to. 22 things she liked about it. I said, now, ma'am, when you get home, I want you to tonight, tonight, just before you go to bed, get off in that room by yourself, change one word from I like my job to I love my job. Look yourself right in the eye and with a lot of enthusiasm say, I love my job because they pay me for working there. I love my job because they pay me above average for working there. I love my job because I have three weeks paid for a vacation. I love my job. Every one of them with excitement and enthusiasm claim and use those words, I love my job. Because repetition is the mother of learning. That makes it the father of action. That means it's the architect of accomplishment. You will sleep better starting tonight. You will dream a more powerful, a more positive dream. When you get up the next morning, just before you go to work, look yourself right in the eye and say it again, I love my job because, and then take the list with you, because you're going to make an amazing discovery. In just 24 hours, you will have moved from a fault finder to a good finder. You see, a lot of people find fault like there's a reward for it. I mean, they really do. Take the list with you. You will add substantially to that list. Do this every day for 30 days, and then uh, you will see an amazing uh, change in you, your attitude, and everything else. I was back over there six weeks later doing a follow-up sales training seminar. Now, the lady, quote, was not in sales However, she had been listening to my tapes and had learned that everybody sells. I don't care what your job is, everybody sells. At our company, our sales department is not the whole company, but if the company is going to reach the success it is capable of reaching, then the whole company has to be the sales department. You represent whatever company you're working for, everywhere you go, everything you say, everything you do, just as you represent our Lord wherever you go. I was back over there, as I say, six weeks later doing the follow-up sales seminar. There she sat on the front row, grinning so wide she could have eaten a banana sideways. I mean, she was excited. And I said, well, how you doing? She said, Mr. Ziegler, I'm doing wonderfully well. She said, you can't believe how much those people down there have changed. <laughs> you see, the reality, ladies and gentlemen, is you ain't going to change that mean, ornery husband you got or that uh, wife of yours that's so obstinate on occasions. You're not going to change that rebellious teenager. The reality is when we change ourselves then we're in position to demonstrate what life really is all about. You see, you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. 
People are not always going to believe what you say, but they will always believe what you do. That's so important. You see, you change others by, first of all, taking control of your own life and doing some changing on your own. Now, the two major points I want to make about the Birmingham lady story. First of all, she became a good finder. When you start looking for the good in your mates, your child, your job, your boss, your neighbor, your brothers, your sisters, your pastor, everybody, when you start looking for the good, it's amazing how much good you will see there. You, you know, a stopped clock is 100% correct at least twice every day. If we can just, uh, we'll just think about it, uh, we can look for the good and there's some good everywhere. Pastor Holmes, who lives in Rome, Georgia, is a prison uh, chaplain. He works in Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida. He takes this Birmingham lady story, and he has the inmates list the things they like about the prison they're in. They've come up with over 40 things they like about the prison. What do they like? They get food, shelter, and clothing. There's three of them right quick. Bang, bang, bang. They have medical care. They can have visitors. They like some of the guards. They can go to chapel. They have recreation areas. Go down the list. They've come up with 40 things they like about the prison. Now, just in case you were thinking, well, I can't find nothing I like about this, that, or the other, you haven't really looked. And it's amazing how when you begin to look for the good, how much closer you will draw to that person, that job, that community, or whatever it is. Now, this is not to deny the problems. But you see, more people have solved problems by encouragement than have ever been uh, inclined to solve problems because of nagging. We need, uh, first of all, to look for the good. Second thing we need to do, folks, we need to start talking to ourselves. Now, we already do. The problem is too many people say the wrong thing. Things like, you know, I never can remember that. I, I lose my keys every day. Instead of that, I put my keys on my Bible where I know I'll find them again. Uh, instead of the terrible twos, they're the terrific twos. Instead of, you know, uh, when, when you look at it in a positive way, it does make a difference. We need to talk to ourselves. There are some people that talk to golf balls. I know if you're not a golfer, you're not going to believe that, but they really do. They hit the ball and then tell it what to do. It's amazing, you know. <laughs> Go in the hole, hang up there. Don't, I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you, all right? Where did self-talk get started? Well, a few thousand years ago is where it got started. Uh, you know, the Bible, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down. When you think about it as old as the scriptures themselves, I will cling to the old rugged cross and someday exchange it for a crown. I can still remember my mother singing that beautiful old song. And sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care. When I say I pledge allegiance to the flag, uh, patriotism was infinitely higher 40 years ago when all of the kids in school every day stood up and said, I pledge allegiance. That is self-talk. The scouts do such a wonderful job, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as an organization with the people who join him. Now, why is that? The scout stands up. I did Yazoo City, Mississippi. 
Every Thursday night, we'd stand up and say, on my honor. Isn't that a wonderful word? On my honor, I will do my best. And isn't that an inspiring thing? Uh, to do my duty to God and my country and obey the scout law. To help other people at all times to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. Pure self-talk is what was the result. Now, the scout law has a lot of moral principles in it. A scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Now, those are the things that the scout would say every Thursday night. Uh, Those are very positive qualities. You see, there are some moral absolutes. You know, in this day, of everybody says, well, you know, everything is relative. And, you know, it's amazing. Somebody will say something and everybody else will say, well, you know, it makes some sense. Everything is not relative. Uh, I spoke uh, this week in three different cities. I was gone uh, four nights this week. When I returned, the redhead did not ask me if I had been relatively faithful to her. There are some moral absolutes in life, ladies and gentlemen. There are some things that are good, some things are bad. They say we should be tolerant. That's one of the uh, popular words of today. Where do you draw the line on tolerance? Do we tolerate the Ku Klux Klan? How about pedophiles and the Nazis and wife beaters and child abusers? See, there are some things that are absolutely right, and there are some things that are absolutely wrong. Okay, Ziegler, you make your point about the uh, scouts. What are their benefits? Well, here's some of them. 65% of the college graduates are former scouts. 75% of the military academy graduates. 65% of U.S. congressmen. 85% of airline pilots. 85% of FBI agents. And 11 of the 12 astronauts who walked on the moon were all Boy Scouts, according to the American scholar, autumn of 1992. The Harris survey last year revealed very simply that anybody that stayed in scouting five years was twice as likely to finish college as those who did not. And they're two and a half times as likely to make over $40,000 a year. Now, there's a reason for that, and it's uh, spelled out uh, quite clearly by Laurel Cutter, who's the vice chairman of FCB Lieber Katz Partners. She says, values determine behavior. Behavior determines reputation. Reputation determines advantages, and I'll add to that, and the advantages is what gets you the business, the raise, the promotion, the successful marriage, the happy life that you have. Now, folks, let's take a look about the self-talk bit. Because our self-talk is so important. So much of it is so negative. Uh, If I don't hurry, I'll be late. It's better to say I'll step on it so I'll be there on time. We need to start thinking in terms of the right things to say. We talked about uh, the day before vacation. We talked about employment security in a no-job security world. We identified an awful lot of qualities, and today we're going to be looking at even more qualities. And the point I made talking about you and what you did on your day before vacation. And you might say, as you look at that list of qualities, I'm going to tell you that you've got the seeds of every single one of these qualities, all of them. 
I'm going to encourage you. You've got the, uh, the sheet in your hands, which identifies all these qualities. You might look at them and say, well, Zig, uh, if, if I do have some of them, it's just the bare seed. The seed is all we need, but I'm so weak in them. Why should I look myself in the eye and claim these things? Well, the book of Joel, the third chapter and the tenth verse says this. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let me tell you the most amazing story I've ever experienced. A couple of months ago, I was out in Salt Lake City. I signed books after uh, I speak. A lot of people don't realize it, but you can take my autograph and a dollar and get a cup of coffee in a cheap restaurant. So I, uh, recognizing the intense value that it has, I, I sign uh, always after the sessions. And the real reason I sign is because I always give a verse of Scripture. I cannot begin to tell you the number of people who've come to know Christ simply because they got into the Bible. I always give salvation verses started reading their Bible and came to know the Lord. Two told me this very week that that's what led them to Christ. Countless people say it got me back in my Bible. The Word of God is so incredibly powerful that one verse, ladies and gentlemen, can work some miracles in your life. This lady was in the line when she approached me. Tears were in her eyes, and I knew that she had something to say. She said, Mr. Ziegler, I... Got to tell you, I've been talking to myself. She said, when I first looked at that list, to be honest, I could not. I could not get more than the third word down. I'd been so beaten down. I'd been told so many times I was worthless, that I would never be able to do anything, that I was a nothing, a nobody. And to look at those words, it was beyond me. She said, I had to listen to your tapes. And uh, one of the things, as support material for what I'm talking about, you need your Bible. I encourage you also to get a copy of Over the Top because I go into a lot of the details on that along with some many other things too. It'll be great support material. I encourage you to do so. This lady said to me I'd been beaten down so much that it took several, several weeks before I could even get down to the 10th word on the list. And she said when I was able to claim down to the 10th word is mine, she said, the thought suddenly hit me that I had value, that I am wonderfully and fearfully made, that God has blessed me. And she said, the thought was so overwhelming that I literally collapsed on the floor and wept for I don't know how long. She said, it took me several weeks before I could go through the entire list. In the meantime, I started to occasionally smile, and one day my husband heard me laugh. Now, my husband had been one of the ones responsible for beating me down, but folks, nobody loves a clinging vine. Nobody loves anybody who is depressed and, you know, having pity parties on a regular basis. And though he had been largely responsible for putting her there, he did not love her when she got there. All of a sudden, he sees changes start taking place in her. And he said to himself, you know, there must be something to this. And he started claiming those qualities. And she said he too started to change. Mr. Ziegler, she said, our relationship today is far better than it's ever been. I have real hope now that we're going to make it as a couple, that I'm going to make it as an individual. But the most moving example of all, several years ago in New Orleans, Louisiana, I talked about this very thing. 
a young girl, I believe she was 21 years old, was in the audience. And when it got to this part where it says, I am a person of great faith, she took it very seriously. Two months after my engagement in uh, New Orleans, I got a letter and a plastic card, a card, that uh, three-by-five card that she had enclosed in plastic. She said, my daughter, after the seminar, started claiming all of these qualities. And as a result, she came to have the faith that you speak of. She came to know the Lord. She was killed two weeks ago, tragically, in an automobile accident. All I'm saying, folks, is something that is very, very profound. God has put in you something that's unique. When you recognize it and claim it and develop it, amazing things will happen in your life. I'm also saying something else, and that is the 139th Psalm, the 16th verse, says that God knows the length of our days before we're conceived. They're written. Now, none of us have a clue as to when that is. You have no clue as to when your last day is going to be. With that in mind, just as this beautiful young 21-year-old girl found her faith and made a commitment, she now knows who the Lord Jesus Christ is. See, there are two places everybody believes in Jesus. One is heaven, one is hell. Pray with me, please. Our Lord, how wonderful it is to know you. How marvelous to know that you gave your life that we might live with you forever. Thank you, Lord, for that. And Lord, we know that there are people here today who might or might not be saved. Oh, Lord, touch their hearts and make them know that now is the time that to delay might mean, Lord, that they will never know you. If your hearts are moved today, folks, I encourage you, move with your heart today because our days are numbered. Christ knows the number. You do not. Make certain that today, if it is your last day, that you'll spend eternity with Jesus. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray, Lord, and for his sake. Amen. I hope you wrote down the scripture references that Zig gave so that you can investigate for yourself. I also want to encourage you this week to open up the Bible and see what it has to say to you. Until next week, this is Blake Lindsay encouraging you to live your life to the fullest. Ziggler. 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 Inspiring true performance.